I would love to read um, from the first book of John. Many of you are very scriptural savvy and some may not be. There is a book of John and then there's a three books of John a little bit later just before Revelation. And in the first book of John, back toward the latter part of your scripture, chapter 2, there are just some verses about the inverted kingdom of Christ and who we are. And in fact, I appreciate the definition of being inverted on the screen right now. Inverted is to be an upside down kingdom. That's a, yeah, there it is. To turn, to be inside out, upside down. That's who we are. To reverse the position, order, or condition of something. To kind of, kind of just do this. We're going to turn ourselves over completely to you. And I don't, I don't know where you are right now in worship. I think I'm still about eight minutes ago. Uh, I'm still singing it as well in my heart. And just saying, Lord, my soul is so at rest to be able to sit down in a group of very upside-down, inverted, impassioned followers of Jesus this morning. And, for, you know, examples of the inverted kingdom. Our, um, our team leader for our um, trip to Haiti is not here this morning. Um, gosh, I'll tell this without crying, probably not. But I, I love our team leader. Uh, I've known her since before she was born, so that's part of the reason that I love her. But her name is Cynthia. She's our kid. But um, we, we sat down with a doctor about three weeks ago, and she heard all kinds of possibilities. You know, the C word that you never want to hear talked about with one of your children was one of the possibilities that was high on the table. A growth within her was on the table. Unequivocally, you're going to have surgery. And I love where she rolled down with her first inverted kingdom response to this. I hear you. I hear what's coming. Here's what I want to know. Can you get this out? And can you get it out in time for me to go to Haiti? I don't think that's normal. I think that's an upside down kingdom. You know, I'm not really overwhelmingly concerned, although we're not going to downplay the C word. That's not really my primary concern. My primary concern is the heart of God that he's put in my life and where I long to be and what he's moving me toward. And so, Doc, can you answer this question? Can I go and serve the kingdom of Christ? That's inverted. It's upside down. It's senseless except in the body of Christ. And by the way, the C word, praise the Lord, is off the table. And uh, the stuff is out of her body at this point, and she's in recovery, and we're really grateful for that. And many of you were aware she was not private about it at all. In fact, I love my daughter. She's like, hey, I'm not going to, this isn't a secret. I'd rather have the body of Christ praying for me right now. And so if you follow her on social network, she put it all out there and um, just said, pray. I want you guys living and walking this with me. And, and uh, I, I love an inverted kingdom this morning and this being able to say, God, it is well with my soul as I sit in worship and sing good, good father beside a beautiful five-year-old girl who's currently fatherless except this church and his people. I mean, I was undone this morning in worship. We started singing, it is well, and I, Lord... May we walk in an inverted obedience to you, Father, so that I can have the privilege of sitting among an inverted body of Christ who are doing your work, and it's upside down in this world and senseless. So just keep moving us forward with that passion and that heart. And so I want to just speak about this for a few minutes and maybe talk about our intimate relationship with Jesus 
And I believe, I believe it begins, I'm in 1 Thessalonians, I don't really know if that's where you are. I'm turning now to 1 John, the second chapter, verses, I'm not in 1 Thessalonians, sorry about that. 1 John, which is my Bible, was in 1 Thessalonians. 1 John, chapter 2, verses 3 through 6 are powerful realities. And, and in fact, there's there's strong statements for us that it's really not a choice for you to be a part of the inverted kingdom of God if you also have so been chosen by and in some act of God's grace also in choosing Christ as your Savior and Redeemer, then you, you're you not really in the, pri- the privilege of saying, well, I'm going to move in the middle now. Here's what Jesus has to say about being a part of the inverted kingdom through John. He says, this is how we know in chapter 2, verse 3 of the first book of John, this is how we know that we know Christ. That's such a great, you know, preachers preach that all the time. How do you know that you know that you know? I like that John said, this is how we know that we know him. Genosko is the Hebrew, or the Greek word for the knowledge of God, and it is not an intellectual knowledge. It's not an assent to saying, I know you, God. It's an experiential reality of the living God. How do I know that I have experienced Christ in his fullness and for who he is? Well, here's how. I keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him by experience and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar. I like that John is very politically correct here. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we're in relationship with him, that we're in Christ. The one who says he remains in him should walk as Jesus walked. You want to know how we know Jesus? That we are a people who, Jesus said it this way, if you love me, you are obeying me. You're hearing my voice. You're walking with me. I'll I'll talk about this in two weeks. I am very confident next weekend that Matt Dobson is going to bring extraordinary words on the idea of obedience. But in two weeks, I want to talk about what it means to hear his voice. To be able to say, God, we know you and you speak to us by the Bible, by prayer, by circumstances, through the church. And we're hearing you, God, and we're heeding this voice because that's what it looks like in the inverted kingdom. We say, God, we, we're, we're immediate yeses to what you are about. When we, we find you in your scripture, our answer is already, yes, Lord. When you come to a moment of truth and you move into obedience of God... You take that step because you know him. And here's an important reality for us, because you trust him. You're moving into obedience because, God, I am in relationship with you. It is not a motivational reality. It's not a bootstraps, I'm going to be a better Christian. It's because I know you, Lord, and I trust your hand. You cannot believe, nor can you trust him if you're not in a love relationship with him. And so we're beginning to wrestle these out and tease this out and say, God, how do I move into obedience in an inverted kingdom? You move into it by saying, God, I love you. I'm in a love relationship with you. You cannot love him unless you know him. And this then becomes a little bit cyclical. Every new command that Jesus will require will invite for us to have a new knowledge of him and a new perspective of who he is and an understanding of his ways and his truths. 
So for us to be able to say, God, we do. We want to live in the inverted kingdom. We want to live radically so that, I mean, I truly love when I've reached the point of having kids that teach me about faith because I have this feeling based on, well, I have this 100% feeling that I'm going to sit in front of a doctor someday. And I have this extraordinary sense that when I was 21 and sat in front of a doctor, my my conduct and my thoughts would have been radically different than the faith of my child. And I'm deeply grateful to live and share life in an inverted kingdom with you where we're beginning to understand we sit in scenarios and we respond in ways. Absolutely, there's fear. Absolutely, there's questions. But there is the knowledge of God. There's the trust of His hand. There's the experiential relationship with Him. There's the obedience of Him regardless of what we currently feel. There's just this sense of God, I know you by experience. I have walked with you. I have trusted your hand. And so in this moment, this is my response. I trust you, Jesus. I walk this out before you. And I think the more, and this is where I just had my circular reason. I wrote it three times in my notes. I'll just, the more that you come to know Him, the more that you walk in obedience in Him. And I just kind of wrote that again. The more, Mark, that you come to know Christ, the more that you are willingly walking in obedience to Christ, with Christ, in Christ, for Christ, by Christ. So, Mark, the really this thing that John's talking about in the scripture, the one who comes to know him, who keeps, who says he's keeping his commands, but he isn't, he's a liar. But whoever is in experiential relationship with him, who has the knowledge of God, who is walking in the fullness of who that is, who is experiencing him daily, the more that I am doing that, the more I will walk in obedience to him, the more I will know him, the more I will experience him, the more I will experience more of him, the more obedient I will become in him, and it is a beautiful beautiful cycle of walking with the Lord. I ran to some biblical texts where, where we talked about um, this inverted kingdom isn't normal. And I think what we should grasp as believers in Jesus is that unfortunately the inverted kingdom in my experience in walking with body, the body of believers isn't normal even in the church. This idea of inverted kingdom and radical fellowship of Jesus can become the abnormal when we become complacent and we fail to say, God, I long to know you. I was reading the encounter of Moses and I love, I, I shared with you that it's, it's a little bit, if you were here too, last weekend, it's a little bit insane to walk in the inverted kingdom of Christ. And I just went through about 15 different examples from Scripture. And so I want to come back to two or three of them and talk about this idea that the more I know of you, the more I'm willing to obey you, the more I'm willing to understand who you are, the more I will move back into increased knowledge of you, the more I will begin to obey you, the more I'll understand who you are. When Moses was at this moment with God and he said, you know, Lord, I'm standing before a burning bush and I'm hearing this call to join with you at work. Isn't it inevitable, or at least for most of us, isn't it normal to then say, God, I would love to have a sign from you. And in Exodus, the third chapter, verse 12, if you're a note taker, you could write this down. The Lord answered him, I will certainly be with you, Moses. I'm going on this journey with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. 
And I love this because I think there's a little rubric going on here for many of us, if not all of us in this room. In other words, Moses, here's what I'm asking of you. You obey me because you have known me in the past and you have seen the faithfulness of my hands. I will then deliver Israel through you. I'm the one doing the work. I'm just going to do this through you. You will come to me as your deliverer and you will stand on the mountain in awe of me and you will lift holy hands before me and there will be a power of my presence that is all over you. There will be a beauty of who I am and you will walk, Dr. Dan, in one of your favorite sayings, in the beauty of holiness. But here's what you have to understand about this cycle. He was saying to Moses, I will show you the sign after you walk in the faith of who you are and what you know of me. I'm asking you to plunge, Moses. I am asking you to go, Moses, because you in your experiential knowledge of me in the current place of where we are, you have enough of who I am. And as you obey me, you will walk in the knowledge of who I am. You will stand in front of Pharaoh. You will see a stick become a snake, become a stick that will part a sea. You will walk through that. You will be fed from the air and you will stand on this mountain with hands lifted high because this is what you know of me today and you can't comprehend of the journey I'm about to take you on. And when you stand on top of that mountain, I'll invite you to another place of knowledge. You will stand on that mountain again and ask me the same thing again. Show me your glory because I can't go without you, Lord. And I fear the reality of many in the body of Christ is that we think we can and we do. And that's why there's an empty shell of religion that makes up the primacy of what I've observed as the body of Christ. I can go without you, Lord. I can strategize without you, Lord. I can mobilize without you. And here's the reality. The more we know of him, the more we're obedient in him, the more we walk with him, the more we're a part of an inverted kingdom that we don't make sense on this earth. And we really do believe that we could pick up a snake, it become a stick, and it could part water and millions could be rescued because we know the heart of God. And we walk in that. So in other words, Moses said yes. And God affirmed, not before, but after. Moses, you have what you need for this journey. Let's go. I just wrote this to myself. God is, Mark, trust him. Adventure, walk in him. Discover truths in him. When he speaks, Go, do, live. I believe a portion of this inverted kingdom message for this fellowship is not only go, live, move, be, go to Haiti, go across the street, sit beside a children who needs a dad, but repent. Hear, Hear me. Father, my life makes too much sense here. This church makes too much sense here. And there should be movements of your kingdom that are nonsensical to the world that, if I read Acts 2 right, leaves the world in awe of the living God. And Father, we want to move in the knowledge of who we are and we do want to go, live, move, breathe, and and advance your kingdom. But our first step, God, is an altar and repentance. 
And I would just look at you and say, what do you know of God in this moment? And I would, I would say that most of you, if not most that I know, I just turn it to myself, I know enough of God to advance for the next 50 years on this earth. And what I truly need is not more gung-ho, here I go. I need a spiritual enema of all that I know about him so that it can release on this planet. And that was a pretty interesting description. Hey, um, Rick Wheeler, Cecil, not the best illustration on the planet. Dan, don't teach that one in your homiletics class next. I love that your pastor is an idiot. And it's not just, thank you, not one amen. Jeff, you were amen right there, buddy. I saw it. To know him. I, I just, I, wanted, I want to sit down here and close. But I think what I'm about to say is very important in this knowledge of God and understanding the biblical context. What do you know of God that leads you to a deeper place? And I'm going to just share this and then invite you um, into this same encounter. What do you currently know of God that invites you to a place of faith and step and outward and inverted kingdom advance? I, I, I love what God seems to do throughout Scripture. And it is such a powerful reality because he carries us to places of knowledge in him. And I really think that these stories, they have to funnel out of this church and be shared among one another. And these stories have to really encapture our hearts so that we begin to talk of the goodness of God. Because as we share of him and we share of an inverted kingdom and people who are taking steps in that and our experiential knowledge of him, we begin to increase the faith of the body of believers. I mean, the body just begins, the scripture says, to sharpen one another and the knowledge and the will and the purpose of God. And it's for the glory of God. And so there was an Old Testament reality that I'm not suggesting that we invoke this, although it's not a bad plan. And some practical way invoke this is the body of believers. But what do we know that takes us to a deeper place? I'm a big fan of experiencing God and experiencing God just tells us that this this knowledge of God, you begin to name him and understand him and to have depth of relationship with him. And you walk in the power of that name. For instance, in the Old Testament, particularly, and I'm very confident this carried out, I don't read of this anywhere in the New Testament. If you have, let me know. But I read of this just throughout the Old Testament, that as they met an encounter with God, as they had that encounter, they would pause. And throughout the desert, you would walk on spots where they would just simply build an altar and say, this is the name of God. This is his banner over us. This is a powerful moment. God met me here. And for those walking along the way, I would imagine they often returned to that place and said, God, you're calling me to something again. I'm going to go and discover a new picture of you. But right now, for me to take this step, I've got to come back to what I know of you. I think that that's true of, I just put some of the names. I think Moses, I just brought some rocks out with me. These are some rocks written by this body of believers that are parked out here for one day. Our prayer garden is going to exist on this campus where the water is going to run over your hopes and dreams and your knowledge of the living God. But I would imagine that Moses and just his encounter began to say, this is what I know of you, God, that you are a redeemer and a restorer, not of the people of Israel, but of me. God, you are one who finds me on the backside of Novaher. You are a seeker of your children. You pursue my heart. And I love that about you, God. I just wrote down some thoughts. I don't think that this is going to be comprehensive by any means. But God, you are my source of strength. 
You are my deliverer. You are the hope of your people in the time of distress. You are the one who carries us out of slavery. You are the one that brings hope. God, you are the one that parts waters. You are the one that moves mountains. This is the knowledge of who you are. And I just want to build this altar here to understand more of who you are. You are the God of miracles. You are the God that cannot be explained. You are the God that grows and increases my faith. And I just could go on and on about what Moses experienced. I thought of the story of the three young men and their experience with God and what they would say. Their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Um, You know them for most of our stories. I'm very sad about this. You know their Egyptian slave name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But let's go with their chosen people of God name of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And this is what they would say about God. They would say, you are a very present help in the time of trouble. You're walking through the fire. It is very good to have a very present help in the time of trouble. And they would have just built this altar. I don't know how many things they would have said about him. They would have said, you are our refuge and our strength. You are a consuming fire. Someone tried to consume us on this earth with the things that would burn, but you, O Lord, are the consuming fire. You, O God, are the one who surrounds us in your strength. You are, God, all of these things and more. I thought of Noah as he is sitting and building, as I mentioned last week, building for many, many years, decades, if you will, an ark when there are people who are saying, we don't know what a flood is and we've never seen rain. So imagine that. That's the faith of Noah. Noah's just running around going, God, this is who you are. You are shelter from the storm, and I'm going to keep building this. You are my stronghold. You are the God of endurance. When the world says I'm nuts, you are the God of encouragement. I'm not letting that drop off. This is who you are, God. And you could just go on and on. It's, this is endurance, by the way. For those of you in the back that can't see, it keeps rolling down the steps. It's enduring. It's not staying on the pile. We're going for endurance. And I just, I could keep going on with this through every character of scripture and just simply saying, God, I want to know what you know about me. God, I want to be like Elijah to know that you are the God of angel armies. That you are the God of strength and hope. I want to go and walk in this to know that God, you are worthy of all worship. You're worth. You're the king of glory. As I walk throughout scripture, I think this happens. And this was a modern day picture that's coming up right now. I think the folks walk through the Middle Eastern deserts and walk up upon the faithfulness of a living God from thousands of years ago and simply pause. And they say, look, we live in an inverted kingdom. In a generational glorious walk with the living God. I, I, don't, I don't know that you could walk up on this pile of rocks and have any clue if you didn't hear what I said for the last 10 minutes. But I think you could walk up on this pile of rocks and say there is a faithful God that someone met here. And as I am making my way through the desert, he met them. And he drew them in to a richer and more robust place. And they came to know him by experience. 
So much so that they built that altar in order that they would never be the same again. And so that they would walk in the obedience of what they knew of God in that moment. And in doing that obedience, uh, that walk of obedience, they would discover more God. And there would be another altar somewhere as they were taken to some place, perhaps on top of some mountain where they let go of some serious worship. This is how we know that we know him. We follow him. We keep his commands. We walk in obedience. The one who says, I've come to know him and yet doesn't. The one sitting in this room walking in disobedience and fundamental out of relationship with the Lord is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Don't be hostile toward the messenger. Whoever keeps his word truly in him, the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we're in him. The one who says he remains in him will walk out in this earth as if Christ is within him and is his hope of glory. So what do you know? Are you obedient to the knowledge of God? And what would it look like to go, live, be, repent, breathe in the experiential knowledge of the living God? May there be altars that litter this room this morning of the knowledge of God and the faith of this body of believers increasing. Yes and amen. Jesus, we praise you for the chance to worship you, to open your scripture and to think of who you are, to have model for us men like Moses who walked in obedience and grew in faith to understand and look at a plethora of characters through Scripture who have taught us the way of Christ. And so, Jesus, now we come before you in a moment of worship, the closing of a service, but the opening of our hearts. Flourish within us. Call us to a deeper place in you. Invite us to build altars. Draw us to places of repentance. Teach us of who you are, Jesus. And call us to respond. We typically close our services with a song. I hope that we do far more than that. We open an altar for people to come and pray. So as we sing, you are welcome to come.
just bend your knee as a as a recognition that there is a glorious God and you are not it. Bend your heart to the hope of what he would do among us. Some of our pastors come here to the front. Matt will be here. Dr. Dan and myself, if you would like to pray with someone or confess your need to someone so that we can carry you to someone named Jesus.